Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. These shows are brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. Well, Heidi, we're going to be talking about handling the emotions during COVID-19 because this is a tough time with the sheltering in. And we've got a great guest today who is very prominent in the field of grief and loss and is going to give us some good information. You want to introduce her, Heidi? Sure. And she is a very good friend of ours who we've done a lot of work with in the past. Her name is Dr. Jill Harrington. She's an expert on grief and loss. She is in a private practice in Virginia. She is an assistant professor and adjunct faculty at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She serves on the TAPS advisory board with us, which is the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And she is currently on the conference committee for ADAC, which is the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors. And she is also a former board member of ADAC. Just to mention a few of the things she does. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you, Heidi and Gloria. Thank you for having me here today. I'm coming to you from our nation's capital here in the DC area. This is a hard time for people I know because there are a lot of emotions coming up when people are sheltered in. Jill has interviewed a lot of people at ADAC, which is the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors, a lot of leaders in the field of grief and loss. And you've been moderating and leading a lot of these panel discussions about what's going on right now with COVID-19 and how people are coping. And I was wondering, Jill, what you found, what are people saying that is helping people out there? Well, I think we have to put into perspective the range, the variation of what is happening in the world mm -hmm. and what is happening from home to home. And there's just a huge variety of the ways people handle stressors. And it's so important to remember that. And I think some of the things that are really helping people are number one, having a routine which has been very, very helpful. Um, two is still having that, even though we're physically distancing, the social connections, um, being able to keep up with work if people are still employed, um, that has been very helpful. I know that I interviewed a lot of different hospice organizations as well as bereavement centers. And even though it was a tough adjustment to go all online and virtual with most of their care, um, like we teach in, in the grief and loss field, people are adapting. In terms of, you know, physically, people having to shelter in place, there's such a variation. I'll give you an example in my family. I mean, my sister's on Long Island and she lives in a beautiful house and has a nice pool and she's able to spread out. Whereas my other cousin lives in an apartment in Astoria, Queens. And I think people who are sheltering in an apartments right now and if they're alone, particularly, having a very difficult time. How about the parenting aspects? I know uh, kids are around you 24-7. I think that parents are actually under a lot of stress right now. Because, you know, we're working, as Jill knows, full-time. And our children are here full-time. So, you know, and, you know, and in my case, I was also recovering from COVID-19, trying to also do work and deal with the fact that my daughter's now in school virtually and I have to oversee that to a certain extent. 
if I just let her leave her to her own devices, she might end up, you know, gaming and YouTubing and doing other things. So, I mean, there's just a lot of demands, I think, on parents right now, which is, is stressful. Absolutely. I mean, I know that just in, in my situation here, my daughter's a frontline worker at um, Whole Foods in Arlington here in Virginia. And there's been a lot of stress in our family associated with that because she hasn't been, she's an essential worker. So she's been coming home and she's been very nervous and someone actually tested positive and um, so she had a quarantine for 14 days. And you know that was really stressful. You know what that's like, Heidi. So yes. she basically was downstairs and we're keeping our distance from her. Mm -hmm. Her food downstairs on plates and she's really afraid and feels, um, she feels nervous about potentially having it or giving it to us. So mm -hmm. that's been very stressful for her and also keeping up with her schoolwork her college, or she's finishing up college. My son has autism, so I love him to death, but you know, getting him into a routine right away was exceptionally important. And setting boundaries and limitations with him. So, and um, making sure we have family time together. But we, we do tend to get on each other's nerves at times. And you know, that's really happening to a lot of parents right now. Parents who had to automatically go from adjusting their work situation, potentially at home, or people, like in my sister's case, my aunt owns a travel agency on Long Island and the travel industry right now is just absolutely devastated. So my sister went from a thriving business to having to completely stop work and be home with her kids and get them all on school schedules. And she's pretty much there, she said, like a proctor. And that has been extraordinarily stressful for a lot of people. You know, you guys are uh, sheltering with people. I'm wondering about loneliness too. Uh, I've heard that word a, a lot that I haven't heard before. These people sheltering in by themselves, I, the loneliness factor. I have a client who's elderly and she fits a high risk group and she is alone in her apartment here in Virginia. And her connection to the world is she has a very, very close relationship with her grandchildren. And it's been very difficult for her to physically distance from her grandchildren. So her daughters thought it was a nice idea maybe to do a drive-by and they all got in the cars. And because my client couldn't, she saw her grandkids, she got so excited and she couldn't get out of the car and hug them. She just physically started to cry mm. and break down. So she's also someone who fits in a high risk group in terms of um, having a mental illness. So. Um, we adjusted her treatment plan right away to make sure she didn't feel isolated. And we're doing several sessions a week just to make sure, A, that she's using her coping mechanism. She knows she's not isolated and alone there. Um, she's, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of cognitive work together. So cognitive psychology is of the belief that our thoughts and feelings and behaviors are all interconnected. Mm -hmm. The thoughts proceed our um, feelings which precede then our behavior. We have thoughts going on all the time. You know, so our, our thought process is always going. And if we think negative things that are very, um, if we have it subscribed to sort of a cognitive distortion of, of catastrophizing or negative thinking, how we think about that is going to affect how we feel and how we behave. We teach people how to appraise their, their thoughts. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what if I have the thought, I'm afraid that I'm going to get COVID? Mm. Okay. What, what would I do with that? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so what you would do is in order to appraise that thought, and again, we want it to come be real, a realistic thinking, not Pollyanna-ish thinking, but grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. What you may do is I might get COVID. Now you're gonna sit, now I'm gonna sit with you and you're gonna write in your thought journal. In that thought journal, you would write down, I am sheltering in place. I have low risk of COVID. No one in my family has it at home here. So these are things to kind of test or we call evaluate that highly and, anxious thought that you're having. And even if I got it, which I did, mm -hmm. it's highly unlikely that I'll even, that I'll end up in the hospital mm -hmm. because, and it's highly likely that I will recover because statistically speaking, it is, even though I'm, I'm, it's horrible that people are in the hospital, it's more likely that you're going to get it and recover. So like in terms of how we handle stress, you know, here's a way we can uh, appraise how we view stress, our thoughts on stress, you know, acute short-term stress isn't necessarily bad. In fact, it can be good. Sometimes stress motivates us to collect our thoughts. Sometimes it helps us to know that we can cope well with things or it gets us to do a project. You know, in college we used to call it like, you know, waiting to the last minute. <laughs> because I would, some people really- And drink. it also, the stress also right now is keeping us safe because it's m making us willing to shelter in and willing mm -hmm. to do the masks and willing whoa, whoa. to do all the things that are required. Yeah, having a healthy fear. Mm -hmm. So a healthy fear of this is, you know, one in which we can, we can know that it's keeping us in place and that the stress of this is also helping us to stay safe. If it gets too large, then it becomes maladaptive because then we become overwhelmed and we can't cope. Absolutely. So that's when we need to, you know, like you said, Jill, we, you know, look at our faulty thinking about why we are so overwhelmed at this point and change what we're doing and what we're thinking, what we're thinking and what we're doing. What would you suggest that people go back and look at times when they've been successful in overcoming things and Just kind right. of harken into that? Yeah. So right now, like I was talking about my one client who lives alone, we've been working on, um, number one, she has a continuing bond with her grandmother, her grandmother who taught her so much about life. And she's pulling back on some of those memories of things that her grandmother would say about, you know, her grandmother grew up in poverty. She grew up with abuse. They grew up in a very uh, difficult time and error. And her grandmother, you know, say things like this too shall pass. So that's really trying to help her leaning on that relationship with her grandmother, looking at things in her life where she has really overcome so much adversity. Cause it's so easy to see all the negativity in front of us but sometimes we don't see our own strengths and reminding her at 70 something years old of all looking at different times in her life that she has really coped with adversity and providing that positive praise to her about how she's doing and allowing for self-compassion right now because i think people need to be able to know that it's okay to have good days and bad days our listeners and viewers out there you know they're they're dealing with loss and they're anxious that someone else is going to die or that they're going to get COVID or that someone else is going to because they've already had a loss. And so I like the idea of thinking about maybe your loved one that has died and leaning on their strength and having conversations with them and continuing those bonds. And what would they tell you right now? What advice would they give you? How would they help you through this? If you don't have a professional therapist right now, I think that if you need support, you, there are, are therapists online, Heidi's online, and so is Jill. If you need support, 
and need to work more on your cognitive thinking, you might want to uh, go there. Do you have any thoughts about that, Jill? Sure, yeah. I mean, so there's also great videos online. If you just even go on YouTube and you look up cognitive behavioral therapy, look up the 12 um, cognitive distortions. I think some other things I could maybe recommend is, um, you know, right now there's tapping. That's something you can also look at, tapping with self-compassion to help sort of um, increase that sense of self-compassion. There's a great video that's only four minutes long that I actually show in my class, my graduate's class, and it is by Nick Otter, and it is showing you how you can do tapping. It's really, it's well done, but I love tapping. Limit news media. But yes, absolutely. You know, picking and choosing what we watch. Um, Dr. Andrew Wheel, who's out- I love him. Yeah, he's a long time ago when he wrote yeah. the book, Seven Habits of Healthy Healing, yeah. I think, or Healthy Living. Mm -hmm. I read this back in the 90s, and he, he suggested to make sure you put yourself on a news diet. Where can people find you if they need to find you, Joe? Well, they can find me on Psychology Today. And again, if they're in the Virginia area, the Northern Virginia area, um, they can reach, reach out to me through my profile on Psychology Today. Or they can email me at drjillharrington at gmail.com. Great, Jill. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. You are such a shining light in this, during this epidemic and this pandemic, and I appreciate you. And I know that you are in the midst of, of editing a book on superheroes. Be your own superhero and be someone else's superhero. Wear your mask, practice, the, practice good social distancing, follow those rules, and uh, you could be your own and somebody else's Wonder Woman. I love this. You are certainly our superhero. So if you've lost hope out there, please lean on our hope until you find your own. Thank you so much, Jill. God bless. God bless you too. An honor always to be here. Thank you. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.